You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! I thought you were going to harmonize with me. Okay, go. We will, we will rock you. (laughs) So we had a hotel room in somewhere in Thailand, Chiang Mai, I believe. And every time we walked in, when you opened the door, it was a rock and roll themed hotel. And when we opened the door to our room, very loudly no matter what time of day (laughs) like i remember coming home late like two in the morning and just want to go to bed and i was very excited about this hotel room it was an awesome room we're staying at this rock and roll hotel mike's gonna love this and then the only rock and roll thing about it was it playing yeah the first three or four bars of the same song on a level 100 out of 100 every time you open the door to your hotel room it (laughs) It just restarted that same song it was pretty awesome though like that still stuck in my head all these years i wish i wish most doors i open we will rock you would start playing well it'd be nice to have a little variety i would say we are the champions maybe they would play a tara spencer song maybe they would yeah maybe there is a hotel out there (laughs) that exists when you walk in, they play one of her songs. This does feel like a good Nova Scotia business idea, though. We could we could market this. We'll use one of Tara's songs as our kind of pitch. I think she would like that, too. I think she'd like it. I think yeah. she'd get it. If it was the right vibe. Mm-hmm. What would you describe Tara's vibe as? Her as a person? Yeah, just her vibe. She, she's funny. She's very yes. down to earth. She's wholesome. I would say that she's very willing to kind of, ma- I don't want to say make fun of herself, but don't take herself too seriously. Very witty. Very witty. We spent a, f- a good chunk of our day with Tara. Yeah. Even after the interview, we were lucky that she stuck around for a little while. She brought us great presents. Mm. I still have them right in here in the studio. Yeah, still using those. She's, I think my favorite word to describe her would be warm. Mm, that's a nice. warm person. She is a warm person, but I, I love her sense of humor. That's what really sticks yeah. out to me. And she's had, she's had an interesting career, which we talk all about in this episode. I would say some surprising things have happened in her life. But she's an example of someone who has kind of followed the breadcrumbs, has been open-minded, said yes to different opportunities, yeah. and it's led her to be a multi-award-winning artist in Nova Scotia and still relatively new to the scene. Yeah. yeah she's accomplished a lot in, in a little amount of time being a full-time professional musician. Obviously, she spent years and years learning the ability to to write and be able to convey that message and whether that was through actually songwriting or just living her life and gaining these experiences 
she she brings a lot to the table and she's winning over a lot of people in a short amount of time and it's really impressive to see. You'll often hear people talk about reaching a point in your life where you're able to look back and make sense of things. So different moments might give reason to why you are where you are. And I think with Tara, it's been this accumulation of all these different experiences that has led to her success in music. Like yeah. she, she's a smart businesswoman because she has a business background to some extent and yeah. good with people and she's empathetic. All of these tools have served her in this in this role as well. And she's been very open to the direction that life has taken her in and that's brought amazing things into her life. Yeah. So let's let's hear all about it, I guess. Yeah. Unless is there anything that you want to throw in before we well, get rolling on this one? Well, this is the week of my big show at the Marquee, and just really excited about that. Really excited to hit that big stage in the big room that I always dreamed of playing on, and now I have the opportunity to do that and do it with a bunch of friends. Elise Aaron from Cape Breton's playing. She's going to the Junos, too. She won a big competition recently. She also just won Best New Artist in the Coast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you won Best Band in the Coast. Yeah, that's kind of fun. So pretty decent lineup. And I think Skunk Motel picked up two as well, a silver and a bronze. Silver and a bronze, yeah. And Jackson's got his new album out. Like, this is a jacked lineup. Yeah. This is Jackson's first time ever playing with a band. Incredible. So. So everyone on this... Bill has been a former podcast guest. There's reason to celebrate. Yeah. So, yeah, exciting show coming up this weekend. And congrats to everyone for those recognitions that happened recently. And So yeah. come out if you can, folks. Would love to see you there. It's just going gonna, gonna to be really fun. And, yeah, just from from someone just getting their, their feet wet in the music game like Jackson to us old farts here in the town heroes. We got a, a good mixture of everything there. And uh, yeah, just it's just going to be a good time. Can't wait. Going to be sweaty. And like we like it. We're going to play a th- one of Tara's songs at the end of this. We are. We Whenever we have a musician on, we try to highlight them as much as possible and play their music for our listeners to enjoy. So the introduction will be a song by Tara Spencer, this amazing human who we had a wonderful chat, a wonderful visit with. And yeah, we caught her at Music Nova Scotia week shortly after we had this conversation where she ended up winning an award there. Her and Ben Kaplan's album won, I believe, Folk folk Album of the Year. And yeah, just uh, an incredible human. And we both just, after spending a day together, we just feel like she's a... A good friend now. That's right. We hope for more days together. For sure. Yeah. Tara Spencer, ladies and gentlemen. Woo. Woo. <laughs> I'm just going to sit with this candle open, actually. <laughs> we just we received chat. a plethora of gifts. It's From like, Tara Spencer. This one's like aromatherapy. <laughs> Orange Tara. You have your own candle. I do have my own. Wow. Now you have my own candle. Yes. <laughs> How did, did you choose the scent for it? I did. Orange has kind of been a thing for me. Okay. Like most things in my life, <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
become part of my brand. No. Uh, yeah, so it kind of became my favorite color, even though it didn't start as my favorite color. And I will give you the beginning of that mythology. So when I first moved away from home, second year university, my first apartment, I had nothing to put in it. And I went to a flea market in Windsor, um, and someone was selling like an entire apartment worth of furniture. So a big vinyl sofa and uh, coffee tables and shelves and lamps and Everything was like a violent orange. Oh, like, violent orange. <laughs> yeah, like really <laughs> aggressive, like hunter traffic detour orange. This actually sounds like a score. It was a huge score, especially the the couch, like a giant, you know, bench seat sofa. It was it was amazing. So I decked out my apartment with all this stuff. I didn't care what color it was. The price was right. So I think it was like eighty dollars for the whole set of stuff but then everyone who came over just assumed i was like really big on orange and then Mm, they started bringing orange (laughs) things to me and it was like this self-perpetuating thing that happened and eventually like orange just sort of like a wildfire kind of took over my environment and now still all these years later is still a thing so i've just leaned into it it's good it orange. is good and it's it's in scent form now it is <laughs> that's true well an orange you may know yeah. this but is uh, associated with your sacral chakra which is representative of creativity Oh. Definitely so did not know that. Orange <laughs> actually magnifies creativity. So I think oh. it found you intentionally. Oh, this is it. Accidental manifestation. There you go. <laughs> the story of my life. I'm sure that's why you got that furniture. Yeah. <laughs> where where were you going to school at the time? King's College yeah. in Halifax. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I did two years there and journalism? Then- well, no. So I did a thing called the foundation year, yeah. which is a uh, kind of thing that cracks your head open. You read a ton and yeah. you write a lot of papers and go to a lot of lectures and then question everything you thought you knew yeah. going into it. So, uh, yeah, pursuant to that, the second year I had no idea what I wanted to do yeah. with my life and signed up for a year of theater mm. at Dow. Because that's what I had the most fun doing at university. And then quickly realized I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So, yeah, only finished those two years of school and then uh, ran away and got married. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Did you Uh, meet at at school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Doing theater at King's College. Yeah. That's exciting. It was very exciting. It was very tumultuous. All of it. Um, Yeah. I don't know how much of that story you want to unpack here, but uh, (laughs) as much as you want to. Oh, geez. Yeah. All's well that ends well. And so far, this hasn't ended. But yeah, it was a long while back, obviously. Did you play music at the time? Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I played piano. And I played guitar, but I didn't perform music with maybe like one or two exceptions. So I hadn't really done any singing in front of people. I sang at my high school graduation, a little song called Imagine. I don't know if you know that jam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but but that was it. And then uh, probably the first sort of performing thing 
year after I graduated, my high school was doing a production of Grease. And uh, the lead, Sandy, the lead, unfortunately, two weeks before the show, got kicked out for getting in a fist fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> Small town Nova Scotia. Oh, yes, it sounds about, especially Windsor yeah. area. Yeah. Sounds about right. Of all people. But it was not you, right? No, <laughs> no. So I was good friends with the teacher who was in charge of the musical component of the show who gave me a call while I was in residence said, listen, we kind of need somebody to sub in ah, <laughs> real quick. That's a short yeah. amount of time to learn a lot. It was very short. It was very short. And I had never seen the movie Grease at that point. <laughs> Didn't know the music at all. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went home to my grandparents' house and found my aunt's record of Grease in, in their basement and... Yeah, learn undertaking. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I look at that as maybe my first official public singing performance. Yeah. So you you basically had to cram an entire entire musical into your brain in yeah. a couple of weeks and then perform yeah. it live in front of a, right. a, right. a big character. audience in your hometown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Wayne yeah. Bedecki actually played yeah. Danny Zuko in Greece. And yeah. like not exact same story, but right. similar kind of cramming and yeah. first time in that position and yeah. hit all the notes. So yeah. I think that's kind of the breakthrough musical for folks to perform in. That's the recipe for success in East Coast music. (laughs) Did that inspire you to pursue music in any way? Nope, it didn't. (laughs) Did that inspire you in the funeral home direction? How did that uh, come into your life? we We have to go there. Yeah, we have to go there. Music inspired my funeral home involvement. Yeah. So uh i got hired on I, I was kind of known as being a kid who took piano lessons when i was growing up you didn't do like eight different things you know mm. you weren't in like swimming and 4-h and karate and everything you had one thing and mine was piano lessons so yeah so uh when the organist at the funeral home was ready to retire i got drafted ah. uh, in and you know enjoyed it it was a strange you know, kind of a strange gig, as you can imagine. Like this is this was a job, or yeah, 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 yeah. And it's in the little village where where I grew up. Yeah. And from that point, so <laughs> at the funeral home, it's a very small, privately run kind of family funeral home. Just a few staff members, and and every year, my boss would throw a Christmas party for the yeah. staff and all the associates and that kind of thing. And it was customary to take a gift that was like a novelty gift, like something for a laugh. Like a Smurf book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like like a Smurf book. For example. <laughs> Tara gave yeah. us a Smurf book, by the way. A German Smurf book. <laughs> yeah. With a punch gun. With a retractable punch gun. Anyways, yeah. I digress. Yeah. Carry yeah. on. It's, it's customary where I come from. So, <laughs> so... You'd take a novelty gift, so I would make fake merch for the funeral home, like T-shirts and Kleenex boxes and that sort of thing. Yeah. And from that, my boss was like, oh, like, clearly your computer skills <laughs> excel everyone else's here. <laughs> yeah. So I started working in the office, and then he realized, like, ah, oh, this 
is a useful person and put out the offer that maybe I should just get my license and be a funeral director. So it was just kind of an accidental escalation of things. That is yeah. amazing. Wow. What, so what's involved in getting your license? So you can do it as a course through community college here where you go and actually study and, yeah. and uh, fill out your year that way and write your exams. Or you can do it as an apprentice. So I was just working on the job, learning as I go. Well, it was very hands-on. And then you write your exams after that. And that's hmm. when you get your license. So you, you must have enjoyed it to some capacity because oh, yeah. that is a job that's I think you would have to enjoy to actually pursue a career in it. So it was something you, you you fell into, but it was something that resonated with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was extremely rewarding. Yeah. I knew most of the families we worked with because, yeah. you know, it was in the village I had always lived in. And, yeah. and you had that community connection, too. But there was just something about the role itself that is kind of unique. You know, you encounter these people at a really... Uh, crux point, you yeah. know, in in the midst of what might be the hardest time they've ever experienced, yeah. and and everything's very fresh, and you just help them navigate through those initial couple of days, which are very intense. There's a lot of family dynamics that mm -hmm. come up in those moments because sometimes you're pulling together family members who haven't seen each other for years sometimes with good reason <laughs> and, you know, putting them in this kind of escape room scenario where, yeah. you know, they all have this common goal that has to be achieved. And yeah, yeah, it, it is a really intense experience and your job's to sort of be the level head and wow, navigate through the decisions that have to be made in a short time. And your personality leads perfectly for that though you have this warm just caring kind personality that i'm sure just created this perfect person for the job well you know i mean perfect person for the job i guess there are different ways you can go yeah. about doing that job but you know there can be a lot of formality that goes with funeral service you know the yeah. black suits and white gloves and all of that but you know, just being approachable, I yeah. think maybe was my best angle and being a listener when people need it and, you know, finding common ground between this group of people. And yeah, yeah, I, I felt very lucky to be working for a very small funeral home because there wasn't a lot of pressure to upsell or, mm. uh, you know, push people in decisions that maybe they didn't have to make. You mm -hmm. keep things simple and personal and... That was very important to me, too. Yeah. I know we're not here to focus on your time as funeral director, <laughs> but it is a, a curious conversation and unique for listeners to to really have your past experience. And I, I wonder, are there are there things that you observed over the years that were consistent that people might want to think about in preparation for those moments? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I mean, you can go through and formally plan out a funeral service and prepay it in advance. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, you can do a lot. But what I found is that just being open with your family or the people you love and talking about what that aspect of your afterlife might look like, you know, it was so comforting for people 
to just know that like, oh, you know, mom really loved this song. So, you know, that is our way of honoring her. Or, you know, this those simple wishes. It didn't have to be a whole pre-planned thing, but that one bit of confidence in knowing that whatever you were doing for a funeral service, as simple or elaborate as it was, there was a touch point where you had had that conversation with the person beforehand and you knew this this one touch, you know, a song or flowers or someone speaking or whatever element it was. Um, but you were really honoring yeah, that person you know as that an that's individual. That's what they wanted. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. It, it's, I think we avoid these conversations uh, like when we're alive, thinking that yeah. you, you shouldn't or it would be emotional or uncomfortable. But in those moments, I, I imagine there's a lot that wish that they had. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I felt most fortunate about in this weird, or marriage between funerals and music is that as a musician, I've had so many people, it comes up all the time in conversation where people suddenly are comfortable talking about funerals in a way they wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't necessarily knock on the door of the funeral home and come sit down <laughs> and talk to me mm. and talk with their friends. It's a safe space maybe to ask those questions. And, um, you know, I've, I've had friends who also are in music. My friend Sarah McGinnis in the Valley has done an incredible mm-hmm. job with uh, the Legacy Songs Project yeah. where, you know, you're walking that line between creating music and uh, talking about death in very frank terms. So, yeah, yeah, I'm really, I feel very fortunate to have had a hand in that safe space with the people who come to shows or you know, folks I meet online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That approachability, you know, has has served well in both departments. Was music something you had in the back of your mind this whole, this time you were working there? How, how did you get into the music <laughs> yeah, industry? Yeah, Because you kind of, I, I was playing in the music industry forever and then all of a sudden... I heard your name and you were just like skyrocketed and <laughs> you kind of, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but you yeah. kind of did. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> you just all of a sudden, wow, this girl is amazing. She has awesome songs. She's so organized. She has her shit together, I oh, guess God. you would, could say. And <laughs> oh. you are now as prominent as any musician on the East Coast. And it just happened so oh my fast gosh. in my eyes, but obviously there's more to the story than that. Yeah, well, thank you for drinking the Kool-Aid. First of all. <laughs> Appreciate that. Tastes good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is the two things really went hand in hand, or not hand in hand, but they were two parallel paths that kind of happened simultaneously. So, yeah. you know, I've been playing the organ at the funeral homes and that was the only musical performance I did yeah. at all and it would be easy to think that I had aspirations to be this you know performing songwriter that were put on hold for whatever reason but it, no that never occurred to me I wasn't writing songs yeah. at that point um, yeah I had no even thoughts about that so what happened is that the same time that I got my funeral director's license, I met a fellow at a music festival <laughs> that my aunt, Patty, and her partner, Mark, run called the 
Kemp Shore Acoustic mm. Festival yeah. down on my home turf on the Kemp Shore. Yeah. And I wasn't a big festival goer at that point, but my daughter set up an ice cream stand there. And I was her chief employee, so I was the main scooper. Yeah. <laughs> With your novelty T-shirts, I Yeah, hope. totally. Yeah, that's it. We were all decked out. And and uh, the musicians would stop by because it was right next to the stage. So they'd play their set and then come over for a cone or whatever. And, and uh, this fellow named Ryan Cook stopped in, and we started having a, a yarn, you know, and got, got along really well. He just has kind of an... <laughs> unusual personality and maybe that's what did it but yeah he was looking for backup singers and because we had just sort of struck up this friendship asked me if that was something that i'd ever done and i said oh yeah like absolutely it is (laughs) which is not true (laughs) 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 but you know like i knew i could probably pull that off to, to some extent and uh yeah Basically had an audition over Facebook Messenger, <laughs> sent him a song, and got hired on for a project he was doing. And, you know, it started touring with him right at the same time I was doing my apprenticeship as a funeral director. Both things I did not foresee in my future. Mm. And started writing after that, started opening his shows a few years later, and, and started playing my own shows just because it it seemed like the thing to do, you know. I, I when I started opening his shows, that's when things really picked up because people yeah. would ask me like, "So, you know, where's your CD? Where are you playing next?" Yeah. I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a fun idea. <laughs> Let's see what happens." And yeah, and wild evolution. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, without having that kind of aspiration or dream, what was it that? led you to say, yes, I do have experience singing back up when you hadn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I knew that I could pull that off a bit because we had gone to a church that was totally a cappella, like it was all harmony singing. And, uh, you know, so I had, I knew the ropes, I guess, of, of singing harmony parts and I'd certainly practiced in my grandparents' basement to every record I owned yeah. for years and years. And why, like, why I thought that would work, I really, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just seemed fun. And uh, yeah, I didn't really expect it to go anywhere. But yeah, there are definitely moments, fundamental moments in this whole music career where it's just been like, Let's try this for a laugh. <laughs> it <laughs> seems like happens. it seems like in your life there's been these pivotal points in time where a moment happened that's guided you down a particular path and brought you to all these key key things in your life. Yeah, yeah, it's a real kind of Forrest Gump way yeah. to, go, <laughs> to go about the music industry <laughs> where you just kind of wind up, you know, crossing paths with someone at what you don't even realize is is a key moment yeah. or the perfect moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot about strategizing and, you know, this is a business and it's a yeah. job, all those things. So I don't want to be too romantic about it all, but but there's also something to just asking, this is fundamental actually, asking when you're prepared that the answer is probably a no, you know, 
and you ask anyway. And sometimes it might take, you know, 15 no's to make a yes. But if you're at peace with that and don't beat yourself up over it too much, then it can be a very powerful thing. Do you think those moments happen for everyone? It's just a matter of whether or not we're paying attention. Boy. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not a, a huge proponent of everything happens for a reason because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that I don't want to explain, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's worth looking, though. I think it's worth entertaining, especially if something looks fun, especially if it's something that gives you energy. That might be a key thing. Yeah. You know? What do uh, you think, Mike? I think that some people are more aware of the moments that are happening and are able to take advantage of them a little bit more. But I think they do happen to everybody and some people just don't pay attention. Like just in general, maybe they're just on a on a particular path that's very structured, very laid out for them and and that might be perfect for them. And maybe there are moments that brought them to that. But a lot of the times, the people who pay attention to moments are probably a little more, I don't want to say out there, but a little more creative like ourselves. You know, you're, you could, I could sit and watch a sunset for two hours by myself and be happy with that. And a lot of people probably couldn't do that. But I think that's just, I'm someone who just, pays attention to what's happening around me and I enjoy that. So I think people who are able to do that can find those moments a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think when we imagine what that moment might look or feel like, we expect it to be like a lightning strike or we hope it will be so yeah. that it feels like a moment or it feels like this quote sign that yeah. we're looking for. And I feel the older I've gotten and I'm able to look back at maybe turning points in my life, I can now describe them as, like you're saying, Tara, too, like it it takes effort and work sometimes to make it a moment. So it's not that it's 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 uh, false. It's just that I don't want for I don't think the moment is just this really easy powerful thing that some people have experienced it in that way Mm. i've heard them describe it i I envy it really but i think that this idea of making your life what it is or what you want for it to be is the recipe of also putting the effort in yeah yeah i i do think there are things you know when you show up for a moment but you've got something in your pocket (laughs) yeah i like that (laughs) yeah you know usually it is work of some kind or or something you've applied yourself to or things you've collected along the way and you know with with moments like that or opportunities like that I also think there's value in not always looking at something as just a step to the next big thing the next bigger thing you know sometimes it's it's enough for something just to be as good as it is you know and just to do something because it's exciting or rewarding mm-hmm. or artistically stimulating and not worrying if it's going to be your big break to the next big thing. Because you can, that hunger sometimes I think can let people down, you know, and then you can be hard on yourself when it doesn't work out. But 
you know, I've, I've just absolutely loved that mentality of, you know, if this isn't good, what is? And just, mm. just really finding the good in a moment. And that sounds a bit trite, you know, that whole living in the moment thing. But even in terms of a project, like it doesn't have to launch into the next big project. It can just be what it is. And maybe age, like a, like you say, Kristen, mm. I think that can make you feel a little more settled in things too. You know, if I, I'm so glad I didn't start this when I was 20. <laughs> yeah, whether it's intentional or not, or maybe it's us like, well, this is kind of what I get to work with now. So yeah. I'm going to find ease here. Yeah. By the way, when I first met you, I thought you were 20. So Mike pointed you out at, I think it was your show at the Marquee. It was a Marquee, yeah. I was like, oh, it's Tara Spencer. And, and I, I think I had just gone over to say hello or hung my coat yeah, or something yeah. and I just assumed until the end of the night that I was like, oh, like, is she in university or whatever? Mike's like, well, her kids are. <laughs> I was like, she looks 20. I give off a very irresponsible vibe. <laughs> you have a youthful glow. That's what, yeah, that was my first impression. Oh, so, wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, nope. We're, <laughs> the lighting is a little better in the room. <laughs> But I I feel that way too. I I know what you mean by having like age on our side because I too come from a corporate background and have only in the last couple of years made this transition into a completely new world. And while there are challenges and scary parts of that, I feel more rooted in myself Mm -hmm. and have these skills that you bring from, like in your case, with everything from working with computers that they were first impressed with you by (laughs) to your people skills to yeah just putting yourself out there and having that sense of confidence and self that surely serves you in the work that you're doing now yeah yeah were you making art were you creating art when you were like in your early 20s uh yeah, I think I always knew I was creative, but I was uh-huh. very much immersed in my, I worked in politics and like that right. was my whole life and right. I enjoyed it. Um, but I I tried to bring aspects of creativity in a different way. So no, mm-hmm. I wasn't painting in a boardroom, but I was trying to encourage people to think outside the box. And yeah. to me, that was feeding that creative part of myself. Yeah, I I love that that idea that it's more just a flow through things it's not like you know you have because you're wearing a different hat you're a different person yeah like you are the same person that has been growing and changing and learning and you know I don't really look at it as a big divide between you know am I a funeral director now or am I a musician now it's these are the things that I'm doing and that's what I can apply myself to yeah and I think that might be liberating a bit you know I I have kids now who are setting off into the world and starting to carve out their identities you know and figuring out their careers and that can be a really daunting feeling like thinking that your job is going to define you for the rest of your life and it's so is usually not the case Mm. (laughs) you know like we've all three of us have moved through different chapters and all of it was just feeding into who you are and, you know, those things that, that merge, I think, of, you know, a creative life with, you know, a more practical job or something like that it makes you really strong as a person. I like how you said that when 
a moment or a choice arrives, you had something in your back pocket that's kind of <laughs> prepared you for that. And I think this kind of comes back to manifestation, which is a thing that's tossed around fairly often these days. And and people often think like, okay, I want to have a million dollars. So they just think about it every once in a while. <laughs> but, and they think it's going to happen. Like, oh, I'm, I'm manifesting and I'm just, I want to have a million dollars. So I'm going to have it. But whatever that thing may be that you want, you have to be making the steps towards it. Or you have to have, like you said, something in your back pocket that can help you when that opportunity arrives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with that million dollars, like... You can win the lottery and get a million dollars. You got to buy the ticket. You got to buy the ticket. <laughs> and what's much more likely in our case, I think, you know, in terms of a music career or an artistic career, yeah. like first you have $20. Yeah. <laughs> and then maybe you have $60, yeah. you know, and, and finding a way to live happily and comfortably with that, with it. You know, not being an overnight success because yeah. that's so, so, so rare. Yeah. And I think that's something I might have chased more when I was very young, you know, or I see people, I should say, yeah. I see people who are very young and have their sights set on that million dollars. But yeah. like, wow, you can be happy with a career that does not look like a million dollars at all. Yeah. You know? And the the irony to it all is a lot of those people who are 20 who want the million dollars in air quotes they're incredibly happy with nothing at that (laughs) point in time like i look back when i was 20 and wanted to be like the biggest band in the world we didn't care about anything else we were so content with living in a shithole apartment with no food no money yeah and everything was actually amazing yeah but we didn't really kind of lock into the moment to actually appreciate it we we knew it we 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 just had our sights set on this these bigger goals, these bigger ideas without just kind of stopping like, yeah, this is this is awesome. We're doing exactly what we want. Yeah, yeah. And you know that realizing that, you know, if you want to be a musician, like like if you're doing it, you're doing it. That yeah. is that is what you are, you know, I yeah. think I'll how does that feel, like what Mike just described, how does that feel for you coming into music in kind of an organic or roundabout way? Yeah. Like this wasn't a vision you had when you were no. 10 years old and you've <laughs> just been picking away at it. It kind of stumbled into your life. It found you like orange. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I feel impossibly lucky you know, mm. like to an embarrassing extent actually you know because i feel like there were a lot of trials and tribulations that i got to just kind of step over and i i have i try and channel it as being grateful for things but i can have a real guilty conscience about it too mm. because i did get to kind of waltz in to this in a lot of ways i didn't you know live in a van i didn't you don't play the four-hour cover gigs. But that for... <laughs> doesn't mean it's wrong, though. Like, uh, it's just different, a different path. Yeah, yeah. It It is a different path. You know, I sort of, oh, uh, yeah, even now it makes me a little bit cringy. But, but I just feel shouldn't. impossibly lucky. <laughs> and a big piece of that, you know, the stuff you have in your pocket, what goes along with that, too, are the people who have opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. 
when they had no reason to, you know, um, Brian Cook was one of those people. My family have been huge, huge and, yeah. you know, being supportive and, you know, cause in early days, it doesn't feel like the most sensible thing to do to launch into a music career at that point in yeah. your life or at all. <laughs> um, and the musicians, collaborators I've, I've worked with, you know, I've had a lot of support from, you know, things like music Nova Scotia from, I've just been stupidly fortunate through this. And so I, you know, I can't lay out a recipe for what makes it work, like with marriage, like with anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for me personally, yeah. I have almost no advice to give because <laughs> I have had so many fortunate, unforeseen, accidental things and had so much kindness sent my way. So the only thing you can try to do is then be the person who holds the door open behind you, too, mm. and and maybe makes it easier. I've one thing I've loved is just in the short time that I have been doing this. So like say past five years, I have seen so many women around my age who are balancing, you know, family life, kids, all of that, their own identity, aging, all of those things come up in the music scene. I could rattle off a number of people you know, we have our little secret society meetings, <laughs> you know, about how to navigate all of this yeah. and keep some semblance of balance going. And I love seeing that, you know, if age was perceived as a barrier, I think that's loosening up, particularly in the folk world, it just doesn't matter so much. So that has been exciting. That's like one door I felt like I've been able to hold open a little bit behind me. Yes. And have you just been teaching yourself as you go along? So maybe it's grant writing or who to network with or how oh, to promote. Like, how is <laughs> the learning curve been? Oh, Giant fire hose in your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I said to you kind of when we were chatting before, Mike, uh, that I've been really fortunate to have been around people and worked with people in early days who didn't sugarcoat anything. Mm. <laughs> Just were very transparent. Like, yeah, this is a, this could be a slog. Mm. You know, there's, you know, 95% admin work for every 5% music making. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of true. Um, yeah, still winging it absolutely daily. <laughs> Totally winging it with, you know, great resources, great support. Don't want to knock any of that. It's all there for the taking. But, uh, yeah, just kind of keeping up with things and having even what looks like a plan from the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're opening shows for Ryan. Yeah. The masses are just pining for a Terry oh, Spencer <laughs> album. <laughs> this overwhelming demand. We want to hear your music, Terry. Yeah, I'm glad I painted that picture accurately for you. <laughs> so, so how do I assume like though that hearing people wanting to wanting to hear your music was an inspiration to to yeah. record something? Uh, ha what yeah. happened next in your uh, career? So I wrote a lot really quickly yeah. and like the songwriting that's a whole other thing we could talk about that's the yeah. driver for me like yeah. that's the fire um yeah i started collecting songs really quickly would just finish song before it was even even really done i yeah. just posted up on facebook for a laugh 
And yeah, had enough of them and, you know, realized, oh, you know, if you have a CD, you can maybe sell a couple copies. Yeah. That, that doesn't hurt anything. And, and that realized that would be a satisfying project. But I actually reached out <laughs> to one of the most pessimistic musicians I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're naming them or not. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Name Ron Sexsmith. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> who is just like the Eeyore of the music industry <laughs> was like, is it even worth going through the trouble of making an album? Cause he's made a slew of them yeah. and always seemed disappointed with how <laughs> they succeeded or failed to succeed. And he said this amazing thing, which is just, you know, it's, it's nice to document your songs. And because I thought about so much from the other side of life, you know, what you leave behind, and was always so sad when I knew someone, you know, whose life we were celebrating didn't get to achieve what they wanted to. Yeah. Like that was always one of the most heartbreaking things at a funeral service is when you knew clearly someone had a goal and they didn't get to see it through. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll just do it very simply and scrappy and that'll be a fun project. So the night after I played my very first show, by myself, New Year's Eve, <laughs> 2017, 18, um, started recording a record yeah. <laughs> in my friend Mike Kerr's parents' basement. We recorded the first song. Yeah. And that is not necessarily the usual progression of things or pattern I've Hey, there's recommend. no there's no template to follow. There's you none. you do what you want and what works for you. And it's obviously working very, very well. Did, did you know Ron when you reached out? Because I saw that you sang karaoke with him like two days ago. <laughs> yeah, weird stuff happens in my life. Uh, I, I'd gone to his shows. I'd listened to his music. Yeah. And I only knew him really through Twitter at that yeah. point. <laughs> he was a Twitter pal, I guess. Yeah, yeah sent him a DM. I was like, hey. I need a little advice. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. But yeah, I certainly didn't know him as like, you know, a real live person yeah. or anything. Yeah. But that's great I, advice really to pass on is to be unafraid of just kind of cold calling or cold messaging someone. Yeah. And why not? Yes. You have nothing to lose. That's been fundamental. Um, you know, I could rattle off a bunch of occasions where that's exactly been the case. And it, trust me, it doesn't always work. It's not always a good idea, you know, cold calling up folks <laughs> with your proposals and suggestions. Like a lot of the time it won't work. Fundamentally, it's not a great idea. But when it works out, it's spectacular. So, you know, that was how this whole album with Ben happened. It was just a, a cold call. Yeah. You know, about yeah, let's one talk song. about that. So yeah. you you reached out to Ben Kaplan and said, "Do you want to collaborate yes, and go on tour and be <laughs> BFFs for life?" It was not Ben Kaplan cold calling me. No, it was not. Yeah, I'd I'd written a song, and uh, you know the sort of character of the song had a certain voice in my head, and Ben's was the closest one. Like that was the gold star person. So. You know, there was no strategic timing or anything. It was just like the impulse of the day, send it over. And it, what I didn't realize at that point was, you know, Ben tours all the time mm -hmm. internationally. He's always on the move. But it was like 
sandwich right in between lockdowns here in Nova Scotia. And he was at home kind of climbing the walls and looking for something mm-hmm. to work on. Yeah, I had me over for a cup of tea and I played him a couple of songs on the piano in his kitchen. And he was very nice and gracious about it. And I was like, how weird is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And thought that was it, you know. Dropped him a line a day or two later and said, hey, you know, if if you'd ever like to do anything with that song, it would be really cool. And and he shot back almost immediately and suggested we make a whole album, which I was not prepared for. <laughs> mm. Wow. He, yeah. was, he must have been just very impressed with your non-audition audition. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what that was about. Like... Yeah, I. He was just he was keen to work with someone else on their material and produce it too, which mm-hmm. was a first for him. So I think he saw me as a a game guinea pig for that, mm. which I was, and yeah, scrabbled some songs together right quick, and yeah, we set off working on that. And he had a tour already booked, so listen we're making this record you might as well come on tour across Canada and yeah you just don't know like I could not have planned that project I wasn't looking to make another record at that point and yeah your your life's truly does seem to have like you referenced that Forrest Gump narrative yeah I know when when you reached out to Ron, Ron Sexsmith, mm-hmm. who wrote a song with Coldplay that was a hit, um, yeah. you and he, he, the answer he said, it's nice to document your songs. Yeah. You happen to be working in the funeral home industry, funeral industry, yeah. uh, and recognize that people were passing away without leaving their legacy so it seems like this just resonated perfectly with where you were at this exact moment in time in your back pocket was this knowledge (laughs) that it is a nice thing to leave some type of legacy maybe or just to showcase this is me at this particular point in time yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense when you lay it out that way (laughs) 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 how did you manage being in front of an audience like, because that would have been kind of new, or maybe you had other experience aside from your Greece, Sandy, yeah, Greece. Your, yeah, your Greece days. and the, the theater experience. Yes. I guess that yeah. had kind of broken me in a little bit that way. Um, and it was kind of low pressure with Ryan Cook because mm-hmm. he was, you know, he is a front man, no question. Yeah. And you know, there were two or three of us singing backups, and you know, I. I always kind of want to be the weakest link in that regard. So, you know, I didn't have a lot to lose. And it it really, like, I learned so much. That was like its own apprenticeship because I learned, you know, how to set up a PA. I learned (laughs) how to run a merch table. Right. All of the bits and pieces, you know, I kind of learned along the way while touring with him. We had some, like, serious adventures. So, yeah, yeah, that was great. And uh, performing in front of people, it was kind of gentle, I guess, you know, because the fortunate thing, too, was the kind of shows Ryan was playing. Most of the time, people had bought tickets to come see those shows, so they were tended to be listening crowds. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the sort of thing where you're, you know, drowned out by, you know, the bar or something like that. Yeah. 
So it gave me a leg up, too, because people then had already seen me at a show that they had come to on purpose. They had, you know, paid a bit to come and see. And so then when I started playing, it was, you know, the same kind of deal. People, it wasn't a, a preposterous thing to you know, have people pay for a ticket to come to a show. I Like, again, I was so lucky. <laughs> so lucky in all of this. Oh, yeah. It's a, kind of embarrassing. But, it's not yeah, embarrassing it, at all. It's, it's very beautiful. magical. Yeah. It's very magical, Tara. And 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 you, I, I mean, you're, you're humble, but it's also like, I truly feel like this is all coming into your life for a reason. You're you're meant to offer the world your talents and your voice and your words. Like it's a gift, really. So yes, there's a receiving aspect, but it's this cycle that you're giving and receiving to all of us as well. well you're sweet. Yeah. You're very sweet. <laughs> I mean, what having been able to fast track, having had this much happen in a short time, like it is a very motivating and energizing thing so it helps kind of keep the the imposter syndrome we throw that around a lot Mm. but it is absolutely real (laughs) you know because on the one hand you know I could get completely stuck in that at any moment but you know when you actually see good things are happening it would it would feel like I wasn't honoring that yeah to to just get stuck yes. in the imposter syndrome. So you just go with what's in front of you, you know, like instead of reading the weather, you look out the window. <laughs> mm. And yeah, it's been a very, very good run. And if it ended today, like no one would owe me anything. And that's a great way to live. I want to ask you about songwriting. Okay. What, <laughs> what is at the root of your songs? <laughs> 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 uh that's changed a bit i yeah. think you know in the beginning the songs i wrote were just really cheeky songs in reality it was just like people would be arguing about something stupid on facebook and i would write a song about yeah. it <laughs> uh just to yeah kind of take the heat out of the argument a little bit and uh yeah, it it changed. There was a song called Cotton Mill that was maybe one of the most sincere or first sincere songs that mm-hmm. I wrote that uh, was sort of set in a real place where I lived about a real experience. And, yeah. And that just hit differently. It resonated differently yeah. with people who listened to this stuff. And, and that was right around the time where I started playing my songs in front of people and it was a bit of a clue, like, oh, you know, I can get away with singing songs that aren't just, you know, for a laugh. Yeah. And people will still respond to it or connect to it, mm-hmm. and maybe even more so. And from that point on, uh, like, the songs took on a more storytelling kind of quality, yeah. I think. Capturing you know, elements of my life or other people's lives or, you know, that's the first record um, that I wrote. And, uh, yeah, it's it's morphed and changed. I've done a lot more co-writing since then. Yeah. Usually there's a story at the crux of it, even if you can't piece it all together at the end. 
How, how important is the audience in mind when you're creating, or is it at all? I feel like I'm backed into a corner here. <laughs> I'm not trying I to mean, do that. I'm just curious <laughs> about your process is all. <laughs> I'll tell you that I've never really worried about reflecting whatever genre I'm supposed to be a part of. Yeah. Um, I don't worry about that really at all. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I'm, I'm mindful of it, but it's not what I head into a song yeah. thinking about unless I'm writing with someone else for a specific person, yeah. you know, but with my own writing, no, it's, it's, you know, the character of the song or the, the experience of the song and how people react is a concern way later on. Yeah. I have to, you know, hang it out on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to sound like I don't think about an audience at all, because obviously I do, but it is not. Unfortunately, it's not the driver behind the writing. Yeah. So. And, and again, the there's no right and wrong way to write a song. Like some yeah. people, maybe the whole thing they do is picture, okay, I'm going to have say 50 people on the dance floor and yada, yeah. yada, they have to be, I want them moving in this way. Like some people might yeah. approach a song like that. Yeah. And some people just sit down and whatever comes out, comes out and yeah. people react in whatever way they will. But yeah, it, again, I don't think one is the proper way and one is improper. It's just, we're all different and we all have different approaches and we can learn from each other too as well, yeah. which is, which is a nice thing. I have to say, like, I admire that sort of performance driven writing though, so much, mm -hmm. so much. <laughs> like, you know, that show at the marquee where, you know, I think we've, bumped into each other for the yeah. first time back when I was 20 years old yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know watching a show like that and and our friend Daniel yeah. James and Fadgen um you know opened that show and and yeah. just has this knack for capturing like a vibe in a song that's going to yeah. translate into a big live crowd and you know the whole room will have a certain energy and it really is kind of like the opposite <laughs> of how I write. So I I admire it so much, yeah. you know, when you're writing for a vibe, you're writing for a room. But it's so small. Like the shows I play, I mostly play by myself. I'm mostly quiet, mostly kind of conversational. Like that's how I like a show to feel. So, you know, they're really intimate and up close and usually detailed songs and yeah, they they don't always live well in a bar. <laughs> and, but storytelling has become a big part of you and your performances, like just what the song's about, making people laugh and just kind of mm. diving headfirst into the kind of intric intricacies behind the words. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved songs that are kind of like a little movie. You know, you can see details that maybe aren't even really there yeah. in the lyrics, but it sort of puts you in a place and time, you know, or in a in a person. <laughs> you know, those are the songs that really stick with me yeah. a lot more than the the bops. Yeah. You know, um, so I guess that's the kind of writing that I've aspired to. Um, yeah, there's there's so many aspects. There's so many the range of songwriters that I really admire even if they're not a direct inspiration it's a pretty big range yeah. yeah i think people hear music differently as well so i'm the person in the audience that always appreciates when someone 
gives a little bit of context or explanation to a song because I feel like when that part of a lyric comes up that you recognize from the introduction, it just resonates a little deeper because you're like, oh, that's that's why she did that or that's what she meant or this was that thing she was referring to. Right. Well, that I mean, that is on full display in a lot of the folk <laughs> world sure. mm-hmm. where, you know, I, I I love a songwriter named David Francie who I've been touring with. And he set the model where his, you know, preamble story behind a song might be 10 minutes long and the song's two and a half minutes. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's like the extreme level of that. But I love it, too. I always feel, especially at a live show, you know, rather than it just being like playing through a live version of the album you've already become acquainted with. I love it when you feel like you have this sneak peek sort of privileged window into the genesis of a song you know especially when the story like you wouldn't necessarily be able to find it in the lyrics so you feel yeah. like oh you know i've got the inside you're scoop. part of it then yeah, yeah. You're let in you feel on like you secrets. belong yeah, yeah. totally i yeah. want to ask you both too i've never really thought about this before um but just listening to you both talk about the storytelling element in literature you have fiction and nonfiction. Is that something that exists in songwriting? Yeah. Because I, I know most of the time, or, or from what I'm hearing at least, and, and again, I'm sure everybody's different, but you're often writing about lived experiences or observations of others' lived experiences. But have you ever sat down and tried to write a make-believe song? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe this is more yeah. common than I know, but... Yeah. No, I think... I mean, there's usually... Um, something that's true to you somewhere in it you know even if the context i'll speak for myself and then i want to hear your answer too um you know even if the context is wildly removed or you know the character of the song is not you clearly not you um yeah there has to be some truth in it there Mm -hmm. even if it isn't necessarily the truth that you walk around okay um yeah I, i love that world you know and maybe there's a bit of defense mechanism too where you don't necessarily want to rip a page from your diary and turn it into Mm. a song and both have merit i guess i think most often for me there's a marriage of the two and sometimes i would pick through and tell you which is which Mm. in a song and sometimes i would Mm. (laughs) yeah how about you i think for me up until our last album uh home which is a concept album every every song i'd released before then was about something that happened to me Mm. so i i liked going into the personal details often hidden with lots of metaphors but Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. because it was an experience that i went through myself so i knew i could write about it in a real way uh so i really i often like to yeah just have something happen to me and then try to convey that experience back in a way that people could maybe feel the same way or just what I happened to express that day when I sat down and came up with a song. But up until we released this new album, I I went that way. And with this album, it was more, this is the narrative that I'm trying to tell with the, with the, the entire 
entirety of the album so i have to hit these points along the way to tell this story and this and again i think i i brought in elements of things that i experienced because you can't write about whatever heartache just from a someone else's experience i'm gonna have to put a bit of myself into that so i think it's kind of what what you do kind of marry the two yeah I mean, this makes me think of a, a couple of things. Like, for one, you're a visual artist. And so, you know, what is the difference when you look at a painting that someone has made and, um, you know, it's a self-portrait or it's a portrait of someone else? Like, it's still the artist's vision. It's still the artist's hand. You yeah. Know, maybe, maybe you do look at it a little differently when it's a self-portrait. It makes you ask some different questions know of that piece when you know this is you know them trying to see themselves or mm-hmm. or how do you portray yourself so but they're both they're both an expression from they're both that you person. yeah no that's yeah. A, that's a good example and 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 good clarification and i i mean i certainly am aware of songs that are, wouldn't be about that person they they couldn't be just yeah. because of what they're about but i was curious yeah. how you're how you both approach that because I imagine it's maybe simple or maybe not to write from a lived experience. Like there's there's something about artists that maybe it's more exciting to just use your imagination and make up a a world or a character. Yeah. And and that's what drives you. But we've never really talked about that part of songwriting before. And for me, it, it, I I don't often sit down with the intention to write in general yeah, and to write, write about (laughs) anything specific. It's just, I happen to pick up guitar and I happen to be playing something. I happen to be humming, humming something. I happen to maybe like a word that came out of my mouth and then that shifts into an entire song. Yeah. So it's not, nothing is really intentional. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get that. Your, your influences seep into it and just Mm -hmm. who you are becomes a part of it. But that's just, I guess, the nature of creating. Mm. Like for for me in writing a song, it's I haven't I said this before on the podcast. I never tried to write a song before. They just kind of often happen. Yeah. And that's uh, again neither good or bad. Just the way I, I do it. And yeah. for for the project for where I'm writing the songs to go along with the book and for Galactic Pie where I did the soundtrack, mm. that was more intentional. Yeah, because I had, I knew I had to hit these marks again, essentially, and with the uh, the songs for the book, I have the manuscript printed off in front of me, and I'm going through the chapters, thinking, okay, this line would work cool in there, but it's also me just sitting down with a guitar, frigging around with something until I come up with an idea <laughs> that I think fits the vibe off that chapter, and then try to influence each other and so I can mold it all together in the end. But again, different ways, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. No, it's a, I always love hearing process responses because we all are very different in yeah. how ideas come to us and how they're expressed as well. Do you feel like it's therapeutic for you to sing? Oh, to sing. <laughs> I am still not totally comfortable with the fact that I'm stuck singing these songs. <laughs> now I gotta sing them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that 
it was a bit of a leap, you know. I'm not like a natural born singer, really. Um, I was able to fudge it enough with Brian Cook, you know, <laughs> uh, and Sandy back in the mm. Greece days. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm not much at peace with that, really. Mm. Oh, it feels. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I love shows. I really do. But like I almost never play cover songs cuz I feel like I'll just wreck them and I'd rather wreck my own song than somebody else's, you know? Like I yeah, yeah, it's a reach. It is a bit of a reach. Well, thanks so. for being honest about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cuz you all make it I look so to. effortless. <laughs> and if like my worst dare ever would be get up and sing in front of this audience. So yeah. It's impressive no matter how you're feeling. Yeah. It yeah. I'm surprised that I answered that honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it is it's really fun, but it's so much more about, you know, the song, like yeah. delivering the song. That's so much more the focus for me. Is it oh. a technical ability that you're you feel like you haven't reached or gotten to that makes you answer the question that way like so you sure yeah, yeah that'd be part of it i think and because that there are so many great natural singers and you know it's been kind of like a great relief sometimes to hand off a song to someone whose voice i think really fits it <laughs> you know <laughs> like oh there they yeah. can <laughs> carry that one around, right you know um yeah it just kind of, it wasn't, because it wasn't a big plan, it's not like, you know, I'd had all the years of singing into a hairbrush, you know, yes. mm -hmm. growing up. Like, I didn't, yeah, it's like the American Idol kind of thing. Like, it's so far removed mm -hmm. and not something that I really plan to do. But yeah, I'm still not totally comfortable. I love, you know, I like making records because it's a way of, preserving those songs you mm -hmm. know and it would be nice for them to have a life yeah you know beyond just when i'm singing them in the moment but yeah no if i am being honest it's just not something i'm totally at peace with you know i i uh did a show in 2021 that was all songs of 1971 mm -hmm. with a band and it was wildly fun but at the same time you know like <laughs> yeah, it's trying to sell these great songs, you know, by great, great singers. I just am not there. I've wanted to just take the time and actually, you know, work on singing better. I always remember <laughs> uh, hearing that Jackson Brown, after he made his first record, who I'm a big fan of, um, took some time because he just thought he needed to sing better. And when I listen to Jackson Brown, I'm like, he's literally perfect singer <laughs> right. yeah yeah so yeah it's just because, sort of been out of necessity even though obviously nobody's making me play shows or do any of this but like I cannot listen to like recorded really <laughs> oh no if I do I can only get through it by listening to what other people are doing like in the recording and remembering mm. That's why it's so important for me, too, to make sure that, like, the recording experience is such a happy, joyful one. Because I'll think about the moment instead of listening to whatever I'm doing. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> oh, it's rough. <laughs> Where have you been doing your recording? I've been in a couple of different places. So the first record I just made with my friend Jake. Uh, he has a music school in Windsor, and we basically just, mm. you know, sort of almost like a closet in there. We would just record little bits and pieces and... You know, some of it I would just record on my phone at home, and <laughs> it's pretty scrappy. He is very game, and mm. and that was fun. And then um, Sonic Temple in Halifax, beautiful, beautiful studio. They're moving, I guess. They are moving. Yeah, or they have moved. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in close, process. Pretty close by to here. I was so mm. glad to hear. Mm. So the truth behind it, so I'm still working on a record right now. Yeah. And I'd made one during the pandemic at Sonic Temple and loved every bit of it. Um, so when I heard that they were maybe, at that point it was just closing up shop. There was no real mm. plan about moving. So I just decided, well, I'm going to make another record there. Yeah. <laughs> kind of crash banged it. Yeah. Because I love that piano so much and yeah. I love Lil Thomas so much. So... Yeah, just kind of barreled into that space with the band and yeah. and hammered out another nice. record really quick, which was super fun too. And Joel's studio, Fang, that's where we made the project with Ben. And yeah. About beautiful, beautiful, dreamy spaces. You know, it feels like, uh, like what? Who needs to go to Nashville? We have these yeah. amazing studios with amazing engineers. Yeah. There's so much talent in Nova Scotia. It's just mind blowing. We talk about yeah. that all the time. Like we've never we've had a handful of guests outside of Nova Scotia, but right. for the most part, everyone we've talked to is not only from here, but they've come to our house. Yeah. Like that's huge for us just yeah. to have that personal touch. And oh yeah. And we keep thinking like how and people even ask us, my dad is like, How do you know that many people? Yeah. But and, and we we don't always we get to know them. That's part of why we enjoy sitting down and having these chats. But yeah. we too are impressed by the volume of creative people in this tiny little province. It's we're so ridiculous. mighty. It's ridiculous. I mean, mm. we're all headed to Music Week, and that in and of itself is dazzling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it many. is dazzling. Yeah, and it makes it again feel that much more crazy to have a space in that community yeah and we're yeah. supported like there's funding mm -hmm. available there's oh, yeah. music nova scotia as an organization is mm -hmm. fantastic and has resources and like mike you were just saying a couple of days ago that in um, in the states they don't have arts funding Not so as, I know as competitive off, yeah. and frustrating as it can be sometimes competing for those pools of money at least they're there to begin with and there's yeah. a shot at them so oh yeah 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 we're so fortunate i want to ask you about brick and mortar okay uh and the competition that <laughs> it was in and what i don't remember the name of the competition but i know like it was yeah. i'm getting is it's the correct song oh this is all right and yeah, it was totally top right. song out of twenty thousand entries so yeah. you can blush, but mm. I'm going to gush about this okay. because so, 20,000 songs okay. and yours was top pick is huge. So, okay. Well, let's, let's just, let's just, let's just dissect this. Let's just, yeah, have a cup of tea here. And so everybody who kind of pays attention to such things, these songwriting contests, there's oodles of them, like yeah. all different ones, international something or other, you know, there's, they come and go and, um, I cannot honestly remember why I tossed that song in the hat 
of this particular contest. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, certainly didn't have, it wasn't part of my strategic plan, let's say. Um, And at the time, like I really didn't know that much about it. It just was one of those spontaneous things that has apparently directed most of my life. (laughs) There's a theme emerging (laughs) here, Tara. Seriously, I know, I know. And I didn't think about it after that. And, you know, time passed. And what I didn't realize behind the scenes is that they were collecting entries over four years because Commonwealth goes with the Commonwealth Games. Didn't clock that at the time. So I get this email, you know, and see the social media post that, you know, this song is in the top seven. You know, all these songs from different countries are in the running. And I am not a big fan of asking people to vote. For things you know there are mm. a lot of stuff you can be nominated for and you have to ask people to vote like every day all yeah. the worst right <laughs> so uh like well i'll just mention this the once you know i'll do my due diligence and folks rallied around this song and i have a wonderful pool of people who are just like absolute rock stars and will you know, give me a boost, whatever I need. And it's incredible. So I guess they voted for this. And then it was like in the top three <laughs> and goes to this pool of songwriters then who get to vote on it. And there was this, in particular, this one amazing artist from Malaysia who is like 17, like TikTok slayer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, that person is going to win. Belle Sisoski is her name. She's so I just forgot about it again. And then, like, yeah, it turns out this song actually won this contest. And that is cool in and of itself. But the really amazing bit, one, the number of songs that were entered, that's a lot of tunes. And two, it was the way people were just excited about this. Mm-hmm. And, like, congratulatory and had just really rallied around this song which I didn't know if, you know, that song would really resonate with folks because it's, you know, written about kind of a specific time and place in Windsor, where I'm from. And, yeah, you just don't really know how things will land with people, you know. So that's the thing when you say, you know, how much are you thinking about your audience when you write a song? I don't know enough (laughs) to really focus on that (laughs) too much because it's just, unexpected what folks will really get behind and but you put yourself out there and you put your (laughs) generosity out to the world and they're giving it back to you yeah it's an incredible song but they're they're rallying around you as a person yeah 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 great (laughs) and and your songs and your art are a reflection of you i mean they're all they're all part of you so i i would say that your support network is just excited and proud to yeah. to have you in their in their world it's a good crew and it's been like that from the get-go yeah. you know so there can be i always feel really sad when i see really uber talented people who don't seem to get that feedback you know like Poor yeah. Ron Sexsmith, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're gonna get Ron on the show, I, I think. I get to the bottom of this. He yeah. sunk so low. He's singing karaoke yeah. at bars now. <laughs> Weird moments in history. Oh, I mean that is one of the when we talk about like manifestation. 
you know, when I was working with a, a publicist back for a second record, she was great. And she was like, dream big. What are your goals? Set your yeah. goals and then you can work toward them. I'm like, well, you know, and all I could name is like people whose shows I would love to open yeah. someday or somebody I would love to sing with. Like it wasn't, yeah, they weren't strategic. And I was like, man, it would be cool to sing with Ron Sexsmith someday. So she wrote to me after I posted that video. And I was like, well, <laughs> might not have been the way Check you that thought. one off your list. <laughs> yeah, do you do that now? Like, are you finding yourself with more intentional goal setting or achievements in mind? Yeah, I mean, for me, so much of that is about projects that yeah. I'd love to do. And that's been the case for a long time. You know, it isn't what can a project do for me? It is like the project itself. And what can know, I do for the project? Yeah, mm. yeah. And how fun can I make this? And who would be the most satisfying people or exciting, you know, collaborators? Mm -hmm. That's that's how I think. And that I hope that always stays the case, you yeah. know. And on the one hand, I'm like, I hope I live long enough to do all these projects. And then I'm like, I hope I never run out of projects before I die. Mm. You know, like both good scenarios, you know, not that we're that old. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a driver. It's that's projects. the way a music or an artist's brain works, I think. Just we want to always be creating and we we want to showcase that and we want to have enough time like time yeah. is really important to, to us uh, i know like just yeah having enough of it and I, w I wish there was a little more in a day sometimes to be able to do all the things that's yeah i want but it's that's, yeah it's great though it's a it's a balance of appreciating the moment and and also you, you do have to look forward to things you are going to create as well but you don't want to rely on that for for happiness i guess yeah what makes you happy? Me in general? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think at my core, when I'm in, like, the flow state of creating, that's probably when I'm at my, definitely at some of my happiest moments, where you're completely locked into, like, making sounds and noises and bringing something to life that, didn't exist before and kind of putting the puzzle pieces together without consciously thinking that but all your tools and knowledge hey george the cat george. all your tools and knowledge i'm are gonna go let george out because together. this will not oh sorry george. mike no, a soft spot for george's <laughs> do you have a a george i do my son <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> a george yeah yeah you're I don't I think I told you this before, but your husband uh trained me at Eastlink a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, talk about weird ways for yeah. worlds to bump into each other. Yeah. Oh. I d I didn't know who you were at the time. Um, well, I wasn't anybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you were you were still Tara, Tara Spencer at the time, but not in the music world, I guess. This would have been like uh almost maybe 15 years ago holy smokes something like that um yeah how'd that work out well i got uh a year in at east link or so <laughs> uh and then i went back to school for uh recording engineering and yeah. uh 
but your uh, Andrew was a yeah. good good trainer. Good, good. He he taught me how to how to answer a phone properly <laughs> and to uh <laughs> try to uh oh. you know, make sure everyone on the East Coast's internet, cable and phone were running properly. That's no easy task. Yeah. You know, I can say when you answered the phone earlier today, you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was standing yeah. in a I we had do a cold dips here. I have this tub in the backyard. Yeah. So I went out and it was raining. <gasps> so uh, I stood in the tub. I put my phone under my towel so it wouldn't get wet. And then I saw it ringing. So I was standing up to my waist <laughs> in ice water while I was talking to you. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Yeah. You were doing kind of a bit of erratic breathing. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder what he would stop and answer the phone for. Yeah. No, I was, I was standing. This is a little awkward. Of a I was standing call. in a tub of ice. So. I, I'm actually rain. glad that you've had this conversation <laughs> yeah. now to explain <laughs> what that was about. I don't think it was too erratic, the breathing. I think it was pretty no, Well, solid. you do you do breath work it. when you're in yeah. cold water immersion, so yeah. this checks. So, yeah. oh. so I was in ice water talking to you on the phone this morning. Oh, man. When you asked if we had any food allergies. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, mystery solved. Then. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Good on you. It was yeah. fun to speculate for a little while. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. We won't get into what you Monday. were thinking, but. Uh, no, I thought you were out running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's all. Very straight faced, too, yeah. that response was. <laughs> <laughs> we believe you. I did ask uh, what makes you happy. Yeah. Now yeah. it's my turn to ask Chris. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. This is a this is a big question. That's the kind of question you were afraid of being asked. Yeah, we, we've talked about this yeah. here. We had an agreement. No. <laughs> it's it's become a lot simpler, I think. It's just a matter of reminding myself of how simple it can be. I would say. So that's not really a direct answer as to what it is, but the process to getting there is becoming a little more streamlined and like Yeah, I think I've I've learned so much through doing podcasting and talking with other people about how they stay grounded in this world and what keeps them excited and, and motivated and present. Uh, I haven't always been the best at that, but I've wanted to be. Mm. And so I think it's putting into practice all of these little bits of advice and lessons that I know about. So it's one thing maybe to read a book of things that will help bring you happiness or peace and another to put them into action mm. and so I have found that I have to stay kind of diligent with that practice and repetitiveness and actually doing something about it yeah. than just expecting that you know I I deserve or should just wake up happy without putting the effort in yeah so it's really just like yesterday we took a day kind of off, which we don't do very often. I was working pretty hard with the smoker. Well, yes, but it was it was still pleasure <laughs> pleasurable. Not smoking cigarettes, but yeah, it was smoking, smoking meat. pork, yeah. pork belly, yeah. and brisket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Lord's work. The Lord's yeah. work. But yeah, we put a fire on inside, and I wore sweatpants all day, and like taking my time with things makes me happy now. Like it's very simple. Good food makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Cuddling my cat. Yeah. Like we're we're doing some traveling coming up and I, I think reminding myself 
how lucky we are that we get to live this life. Like they're all really easy things. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of doing them and right. keeping myself in that space. Right. Yeah. Thanks for asking so I can remind myself of it even ah. today. <laughs> so we do have to turn the question on you now since you asked us both. Oh, man. What makes me happy? Listen, I am a pretty happy person, like to an irritating extent, you know, <laughs> like uh, I was just thinking about on the drive here about the way we put ourselves out in the world. And social media is its own thing and about, you know, whether people are just projecting an image of happiness and how toxic that can be. And mm. and I'm just going to tell you, I'm very happy, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm a genuinely happy person. Um, yeah, I humor is so important to me. You know, as much music as I listen to, I listen to... Um, comedians podcasts that sort of thing it is absolutely my drug of choice Mm -hmm. um fundamental and you know i i write a lot of songs that are often a little bit um introspective or you know maybe not for a laugh the way they were in the beginning Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah i i'm very happy I, again, I have an amazing husband. I have two kids that are just so entertaining to me (laughs) and surprise Mm -hmm. me. And, um, yeah, I'm tempted to throw out the word privilege, but I'm not going to. I just am super lucky that I've had a lot of conditions of my life that have made it very ridiculously easy to be happy. But small stuff. And I think, too, even from songwriting, like having an eye for those little small details, you know, in your own life or someone else's that uh, you can draw inspiration from or spark your writing or something like that. Those are also key to being happy. Um, Yeah, it doesn't take a lot. I have dogs. I love them. (laughs) 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 They're... They're, uh, I think they drive my husband crazy a bit, but, you know, I do love them. I, I'm delighted by a lot in the world. My threshold, I think, um, when I got together with my husband and maybe it's still the case, his family thought I was very stupid because I was just so easily amused by them and (laughs) like a very easy laugh, uh, yeah, gosh, this isn't the most intelligent answer, I think. But I find it very easy to take pleasure in small things. And I've been around people who didn't find it easy and felt very sorry for them. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, specifically, even say on tour. So little things can become mountains when you're traveling. Mm. Small things you have to lean into and just enjoy those You know, I think there's a thing like when you go on a trip, you can think about what it means to go to California. But really what that's going to mean is all those little small steps on the way. You know, it'll be the person you sit next to on the plane. It'll be this one, you know, taco 
you had. Yes, <laughs> yes. It'll be all the little details. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be the one thing you forgot that you have to go replace. Like those little moments, that is really everything. It isn't a trip to California. It is yeah. those little moments. That's what you'll come back when people ask you how your trip went. Those will be the meat, the details that leave that you take with you. So. Well, you seem like you're an expert in appreciating the moment and living in the present. It's very annoying sometimes for the people around me. <laughs> yeah, but that that's Maybe what life especially on tour. <laughs> that's the biggest struggle for most people in well, life. That's it. I know. Yeah. And I I wish I could say that it's hard work. Um but not really. And I feel like what you're describing is just living. Like we can't expect yeah. for everything to be easy in order to be happy. So you're saying like the forgotten thing in your suitcase for some people that's like a very frustrating oh yeah tumultuous yeah emotion to be going through when I, you're just going to have yeah. a laugh about it and yeah honestly you know, go get a new hairbrush or... yeah yeah genuinely so yeah uh again you know like I I just <laughs> I feel apologetic about that too <laughs> uh yeah but, like, honestly, too, working with the funeral home, like, that perspective that you get, too, I'm yeah. like, really, is this the worst thing that could happen right mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it calibrates your scale of, you know, best to worst in a different way than maybe it had been before that experience. So, yeah, yeah I've, I'm really fortunate to have had that window on life. <laughs> yeah. You have an amazing story, amazing outlook, uh, amazing career happening. This is just a, a pleasure to to chat with you and get get to know you on a little bit of a deeper level and see the amazing trajectory that you're on and who knows where it's going to go, but I know it's going to be amazing. It's good enough for now. Yeah. Yeah. Today, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I appreciate your demeanor so much like I, I just you're just yourself and that's what's working for you and I like hearing you talk that's my takeaway is it's not that you're not trying or that it's so effortless it's just you being you and showing up with gratitude and humility and that is the the lesson that's the essence of who you are and and that's working um you know from an outsider's perspective we could we can choose what is working what that means to us but yeah um that's important too yeah how you define success how you define success a whole other and, yeah <laughs> totally be very careful with that. yeah be very careful mm. <laughs> we'll say heading into music week yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah get some sleep yeah. and all the things yeah stay on top of it but i just i, I appreciate you for just showing up as you are today it means a lot Oh gosh, well thank you. I've been so curious. I've yeah, I would love to interview and you and and find out how you work this out as a couple. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well we'll we'll say goodbye, take hey, the headphones off now. And then, yeah. then you start the questions for us. <laughs> love it. But thanks so. for being here, bud, and uh oh, truly an honor. You. Yeah. Thanks for the sweet oh. gifts too. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go play Smurfs now. Okay. Okay, yeah. folks. <laughs> Talk soon. In the 
hard gray chairs at the doctor's office. Me and a man with a terrible cough. It's 11 a.m. The doctor is late. Nothing there to do but wait. He handed me a wrinkly business card. Told me of his young years working hard. Small engine repair, tractors and mowers. Back in the days when the world moved slower. He had loved every minute of the simple life. A lot less simple since he lost his wife. She had died last June. Her lungs full of cancer. He took all the tests. He was waiting for answers. His hands were shaking. He looked so nervous as he handed me the card that said, "At your service." Service. 